first and foremost, thank you for welcoming us here. And by us, I want to acknowledge um, two of the people that went on me, went with me on these trips. The first trip, my husband Mario accompanied me, and the second trip, my very good friend Sylvia Stephen accompanied me with the blessings of her husband Brian. So. Um, once again, thank you so much. If you do have the means to donate um, and you write a check, please leave the check blank. Um, I just want to uh, share with you that both trips we have funded ourselves. Any of the monies collected go directly to the needs and nourishment of the people down in Matamoros. We do not use any of those funds for ourselves. So um, just wanted to share that with you. In my younger years, I knew I wanted to do something along the line of missionary work. I made some choices in life which took me on a different path. Through the years, I did other things to fill that void in any way that I could. It just never seemed to be enough. Then came 2019. In March of this year, as I was scrolling through Facebook, a post appeared on my page from a woman by the name of Andrea Morris Rudnick. I didn't know her, nor did she and I have any mutual friends. Hmm. I began following her posts. She was very active in helping asylum seekers, refugees, and the poor in Brownsville, Texas, and across the border in Matamoros, Mexico. My husband Mario and I made our first contribution to Compassionate Relief for Asylum Seekers, now known as Team Brownsville, that month. I continued to follow Andrea's posts and educate myself on what was going on at the international border. Donating to the cause was not enough. I told Mario when we retired in August, I wanted to go volunteer at the border. He did like any husband would do, replied, yeah, okay, and that was the end of our conversation. I notified my employer on June 3rd I would re be retiring August 1st. I got home that evening and there was a friend request from Andrea. I said, my Lord, I hear you loud and clear. I immediately started putting together a plan for the upcoming trip. I reached out to friends and family for in-kind donations as well as monetary. At the time, the Migrant Protection Protocol, MPP, also known as Remain in Mexico, that policy was not in place. In other words, asylum seekers were processed in Mexico, crossed over to the United States, and were considered to be on the right path to citizenship. Keep in mind, sometimes that determination may take years, if not decades. With that being said, and asylum seekers at that time allowed to cross, the big need was belts and shoelaces once they arrived at the bus station in Brownsville. As unimportant as that may sound, think about it. Walking around with no belt to hold your pants and no shoelaces to keep your shoes fastened and on your feet. The Mexican government kept those items from the people. 
Pants falling down and shoes that are meant to be tied falling off your feet can bring a sense of humiliation. On June 12th, we received our first box of shoelaces and belts. Our downstairs became a storage area for the items we would take with us to Brownsville. Our Subaru was packed tight for the trip, and along with the donations of shoelaces, belts, hair ties, combs, snacks, coloring books, crayons, pencils, etc., we collected over $2,500 in donations. We were elated. We left on September 13th, drove for 18 hours, slept in Divine, Texas, and drove the remaining four to five hours on the 14th. We arrived at the Brownsville bus station, which is a central meeting place for all volunteers. From there, we followed Sergio Cordova, one of the founders of Teams Brownsville, to the storage unit to unload the donations. We arrived at the storage building and immediately sensed an overwhelming feeling from the board members and volunteers. The three to four units were unorganized. It was obvious people were sending and bringing donations of all sorts. There were several volunteers attempting to get tote bags ready for the evening mill crossing and there was no way they were going to meet the timeline. The camp had busted open at the seams and Team Brownsville was blindsided by MPP. MPP had been in place for a couple of months and the volunteers were feeling the effects. Keep in mind that prior to the policy put in place in June, the volunteer groups were helping 15 to 30 people a day. That number grew to over 500 in three months. There was talk in the storage unit that they would not take any donations if they did not have enough. That caught my attention and I later voiced my opinion. There is always tomorrow. My heart was heavy at the end of our first day there. Sunday morning we were up and at it. We had a meal to cook for over 550 people by 6 that evening. Team Brownsville partners with GNSH, Good Neighbor Settlement Housing, which is similar to our soup kitchen. We share their kitchen and prepare meals. Our meal consisted of 550 burritos and various cookies. We prepared our meal in the nick of time, headed to the bus station, met our team lead, Michael Benavides, loaded our carts, and made the trek across the International Bridge. Quick short story to share. Mario was so concerned because we weren't meeting the, the timeline. He's like, we got to go. We got to go. I said, Mario, we have what they want. <laughs> we got to finish the mail first. Um, we met our team lead, Michael Benavides, loaded our carts and made the trek across the International Bridge. No hiccups. Everything went smoothly. As we rounded the corner to get the food set up in the camp, we were met with children singing and clapping brought tears to my eyes. The women and children are fed first and then the men. I kept looking up at the line in front of me praying there would be enough. There was enough and some got seconds. Our brothers and sisters in Matamoros are kind, patient, respectful people. We were allowed to walk through the camp. It was about a block long, tents everywhere, side by side, and two porta potties to service 500 to 600 people. It was a long day. We crossed back over and headed to the condo. Within an, hour, within an hour of being home, Mario became violently ill. 
We had nothing to eat or drink on the Mexico side, so I kidded with Mario that he got Trump's revenge. <laughs> the two young women we served with the day before were kind enough to let me tag along with them. I did not want to leave Mario without a vehicle. However, the two young women and I crossed over two mornings, representing <coughs> angry tias and abuelas. Our mission was to go on a daily basis with any and all goods and give what we had. The people were accustomed to the arrival time and place. As soon as we hit the camp singing, Mujeres y Niños y Niñas, women and children surrounded us to see what we were bringing that day. Requests were usually taken the day before to know what the need was in the camp. The women and children items were dispersed first and then the men. We, absent Mario, crossed again that evening to serve dinner. The people were again happy to see us and thankful for their meal. A journalist and photographer were there from France. After we served, they asked if they could interview me. They wanted to know what I thought of the things Donald Trump was saying about these people being murderers and rapists. I responded with, you were here all evening as we were. Did you ever fear for your lives? I told them I felt MPP was all a part of his plan to cause unrest amongst the people. Keep sending them back and setting up fake court dates to diminish, diminish their hope. Make them angry and bitter to go after one another, and then he could say, they are very bad people. I told you so. We headed back across the bridge, and that night was the beginning of many days of sickness. As luck would have it, I caught what Mario had. We knew we could not cross and spread this virus. We ventured out and bought underwear for men, women, and children of all sizes. We purchased toilet tissue, diapers, hair ties, wipes, and sent it with the other volunteers. We never crossed again that trip in September. We left Brownsville and my heart was very heavy. I was depressed for a couple of weeks. Looking around my home, I was ashamed of the things we had accumulated over the years, which really meant nothing to me. We hadn't done anything so great. We did what we were put on this earth to do, serve others. This life is not about us. Who were we? What had we become that we judge others based on their color, their religion, their social status? I kept in touch with Beth, one of the ladies we cooked and crossed with. We talked on the phone every few days and she said she was thinking of going back. I said, let's do it. A few of my friends had mentioned that if I were to go back, they would like to come. I contacted each of them to no avail. It wasn't going to work out. I had rekindled a friendship from junior high and high school and thought, I'm going to ask Syl. I called her up, and without a thought about it, she said, yep, I'll go. I was elated and in disbelief. She didn't need a moment to think about it. Her husband didn't need time to think about saying yes, go, help out, and the work began once again. We reached out to friends and family and once again collected around $2,500. My friend Beth had already committed to paying for the two meals we would serve, so we in turn said our money will go to the needs in the camp. This time we flew. We arrived on a Friday evening. Saturday morning, we headed over to South Padre Island to say, been there, done that. Saturday evening, we crossed with needed items. No hiccups. 
Sergio Cordova was our team lead. I shared with Sil the things that had changed since our visit in September. Many, many changes. Sunday was a busy day from the get-go. We had a meal to cook for 1,000 plus people. Our team lead that night was a woman named Kelly, whose husband is on the board of Team Brownsville. At the check station, it became very obvious very quickly that she was not a familiar face and there was resistance to let us through. The food carts were allowed to pass, but the in-kind donations were not getting through without scrutiny and taxes being paid. The Mexican government now wanted its piece of the pie. If we weren't going to buy the goods in Mexico, we were surely going to pay a Mexican tax on those items. Thank God for Syl. Her Spanish-speaking skills came in very handy. After approximately 45 minutes of going back and forth, they decided an arbitrary tax of $64 or so would satisfy them enough to let us cross. We fed, distributed the goods, mingled and crossed back. The following evening, the same thing. Our team lead was not a familiar face and once again, they wanted to inspect each and every cart. Syl and I had receipts for all of our items, some that were brought over the day before. Others who brought items did not have receipts. We tried to separate our receipted items, but nonetheless, they wanted to show who was in control. We ended up paying taxes again, and once again, Sil's Spanish skills got us through. I told the agent that we had already paid taxes on some of the items, and he told me, don't talk to me in English. In English. <laughs> My friend Beth thought she was going to have to bail me out of jail. <laughs> The routine was the same for the remainder of the trip, crossing, taking needed items, and crossing again to serve. We served with the church group from Matamoros on Wednesday night and joined in the singing and dancing the church group provided. Syl and I quickly took to a song titled, Andamos con Dios, We Walk with God. We were fist pumping and singing along with the chorus. It was a night to remember. We crossed one day to specifically help at the Resource Center, a social service building for the people to help them complete paperwork, to receive medical needs, legal needs, etc. Sil, Tom, and I, Tom is a husband to one of the lady volunteers that was on our team, put together a flyer notifying the people of regular church services every Wednesday evening and craft classes in the near future. They needed to sign up for the craft classes the following day, so getting the flyers out was urgent. That is one of my most memorable days there. Sil helped me put together enough words to get the message across. We went our separate ways in the camp and got it done. Over 30 people showed up the following day to get information about the classes. Tom, the guy who teamed up with us, told Syl that she and I were fearless. We had no hesitation moving about the camp, mingling with the people, giving hugs to all we could. He told me I had to quit giving my clothes to the people or I would leave naked. We never feared. There was nothing to fear. We loved the people, and they showed us love back. 
As we were moving about the camp, one gentleman came looking for Sill to help him understand his court documents. The paperwork stated for him to show up at 1 a.m. on the date of his hearing. That happens on a regular basis. He knew that wasn't right. We happened to be near a group of lawyers touring the camp. Sill took, to, took the gentleman to a lawyer by the name of Jeff O'Brien. He tried to resolve the issue right then and there, but the phone numbers on the paperwork were no longer in order. He told the gentleman to show up at 1 p.m. and hope for the best. Three people in our group decided to go to one of the court hearings on the U.S. side. It was a lengthy ordeal for them to get approval, and once inside the courtroom, the judge asked them why they were there. It was not common to see people at the court hearings. They told him they were concerned citizens and visual observers. They said he was a kind, compassionate judge. The next morning, he resigned. Within our team, it was thought that maybe, just maybe, he had a conscience and could no longer part, be a part of this egregious abuse of humanity. A young man by the name of Darwin took to me, or so I thought. While I was being interviewed back in September, he ran up to me and hugged me very tight for some time. I wondered if I would see him again in November. Sure enough, everyone knows Darwin. They call him the boss of the camp. He is there with his mother. He is eight years old and has the biggest heart and best hugs. I went looking for him on the second trip, and when he saw me, he came running and gave me one of his best hugs. He told me something in Spanish, and I asked for a translation. If he could have anyone take him from there, it would be me. My heart was full. My friend Beth quickly told me, D, he probably tells all the women that. <laughs> in that next week, we met Patty, AKA Zumba Patty, known as the mayor of the camp. She received her approval that week to cross and began the long process of becoming a citizen. We met Isabel, the librarian, Gabby, the young woman who manages the service center, Charlene, the fierce lawyer who spent 12 plus hours fighting for medical care on the bridge, on her phone, for a two-year-old who was severely dehydrated and near death. We met the Riverbenders group that commits to serving and cooking every Tuesday. We met the Sunday teaching group who brings education to the children every week. And last but not least, our team members, Beth, Carolyn, Tom, Kat, and Jan. That tells you how a typical day goes while working with Team Brownsville. They do have groups that wait at the bus station to help the asylum seekers purchase their tickets understand the journey ahead of them, and feed them a meal. They also hand out totes for adults and children with essentials, toothbrushes, toothpaste, deodorant, one change of clothes, coloring books, etc. That number has dwindled drastically since MPP was imposed. They were seeing upwards of 70 to 90 people at the bus station on a daily basis they now see maybe two to 25. Let me share with you the changes that were made in the 45 days from September to November. 
Where do I begin? Two months ago, the Modus Camp for the Asylum Seekers and Refugees was a much different place than what I returned to on November 9th. The camps Syl and I served at had more than doubled, if not tripled, in size. The census was over 1,500. There is a fence that runs along the top side of the camp. The Mexican government warned of deadly snakes on the uninhabited side of the fence. There are now tents and caps, campsites as far as the eye can see. No deadly snakes. The people in that area have improvised and made actual campsites with makeshift stoves out of washer and dryer tubs, put together mud stoves, and have hammocks in various places. The feeding area where the people lined up to be served is now taken over with temps, tents. The walkway is now used for the long lines as people assemble to be served. There are now three free store tents for the people. The stores, tents, are managed by immigrants and are placed throughout the camp with all the other tents. People are encouraged to shop for needed items Jackets, long sleeve shirts, socks, blankets, personal needs, diapers, powdered milk for the children, gloves, etc. There are no more deliveries in the morning by angry tias as all goods are taken to the stores for distribution. A 57,000 water treatment plant was being installed. People now have good water to wash with instead of taking to the Rio Grande for bathing, brushing teeth, cleaning their clothes, etc. There were only two porta potties for over 500 people. There are now 15. Hand washing bas basins were made from trash cans. They are placed throughout the camp with more to come. A contract has been established with a local restaurant in Matamoros to prepare the evening meals. This frees up volunteer time and manpower to transport needed items in the camp. It can get cumbersome hauling the carts with food. Keep in mind, the majority of the volunteers are upwards of 50 years and older. Volunteers are still welcome to buy and prepare their own meals. In September, Mario was the only man volunteering outside of the Team Brownsville board members. We had a few younger volunteers who wanted to help once we prepared the food and got it across the border. A resource center has been established. The center offers social services to the people, lawyers, doctors, nurses, translator, church services, crafting are all available. An area in the camp has been designated to wash and dry clothes. The people are kind, patient, and grateful for our presence and aid. The children are well-behaved and full of love. We never saw a tantrum. The people stand in line for their food. No complaints, no line cutting, no pushing or shoving. Women and children are fed first. The men wait. We have put together a slideshow. We worked hard each and every day. The November donations allowed us to purchase hats, gloves, diapers, feminine products, powdered milk, long sleeve shirts, jackets for all children through teen years, calf socks, toilet tissue, and blankets. My first trip 
I came home with a heavy heart. This time, my heart stayed in Matamoros, and I know Sil felt the same way. We are them. They are us. We hope the video touches your heart as our experience there did for us. Thank you.
That's the little girl that nearly died.
As of November 10th, Team Brownsville, Catholic Charities, and other nonprofit organizations put together an initiative to improve living conditions in Matamoros. Dignitary Village will operate as temporary homes for the asylum seekers waiting for their opportunity to make an asylum claim, asylum claim at the U.S. Port of Entry in Brownsville. Team Brownsville and the other organizations are committed to provide all fundamental services to the residents, as well as continuing with the daily meals, education, basic hygiene supplies, and basic health services. The powers that be have been working with the local authorities for approval. As of December 5th, the Mexican federal authorities began construction of six large tent structures. The target for everyone to be moved is January 1st. As with everything else in Matamoros and for the asylum seekers, it changes day to day. Team Brownsville is committed to helping in any and all ways to make this happen for the people. We are them. They are us. Thank you.